0: Hello everybody and welcome back to Podcana episode 35. This week we're joined by Tia Boyson off the back of Lorcana's biggest tournament to date, which all of the Podcana team participated in. We did have Moyen top eight. We actually had another tournament occur last weekend as well, and we're gonna be talking about that list because it was pretty spicy. But first just want to thank you, Tia, for coming on the podcast and appreciate everything you're doing in the Lorcana space right now, specifically with these online tournaments.
1: Uh, Thank you so much, Brendan. And thank you, Koa, for having me. I was really excited when you asked me to come by. And yeah, thanks for participating in the tournament. It was so much bigger than I thought it would be. Honestly, I was just sad that I missed out on the one that took place a week before that. So I wanted to do one so I can participate. And then 400 people turned up and I had to just sit out and cast instead. So (laughs) we'll just keep doing them until I get a chance to participate in one.
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. You can tell that there is an appetite in the community for this kind of tournament. Um, I know Lorcana, you know, they're definitely very focused on being a physical TCG, but due to Pixelborn being so successful, and we talked about on this podcast, we think it's very much contributed to the game's success. There's a large player base that has just existed on that platform and playing the game digitally and is looking for that high-level competition that you can you can sort of get in that platform. So, I think it's amazing we're finally having the big tournaments and you know, it was really fun to compete <clears throat> Moin did end up pop aiding. me and Kawa didn't quite make it and you know my biggest goal from that tournament is to you know in the future maybe convince Kawa to play real decks.
2: Oh man, Ooh. this is okay so this is a hot topic of conversation to you basically for the past two weeks three weeks we hopped on the podcast we we're like okay guys you're sick of Ruby Amethyst so are we let's try and beat it. What do these two guys do? Play Ruby Amethyst in the tournament. I'm like come on, come on. I'm the only person that tried to beat us. So, yeah I played Emerald Steel discard, um, it was pretty fun, I had a lot of fun with the deck, uh, unfortunately I actually didn't face too many Ruby Amethyst players in the end, but uh, it was awesome to see Moyen making it into the top 8 with some uh, secret sauce in the, in the Ruby Amethyst deck that uh, Brendan and Moyen spoke about last week, which of course was Peter Pan Shadow, that card is absolutely insane but uh yeah as well as participate in the event i had the honor to cast it alongside raven so we cast that first uh major event which i believe had 282 players in total and then yesterday i also casted alongside specie to um you know talk over it was, it was a smaller tournament. I think there was uh, 32 players that signed up. Of course, Tia, you can probably talk to us a little bit about your idea of running the bigger tournaments and then the smaller ones to help support these bigger events. But uh, what came out of that event was a super cool list that we're definitely going to be talking about later. But before we get into that, Tia, why don't you kind of talk to us uh, a little bit. Uh, t- take it from the start, right? Your history in card games, your journey throughout Gwent. Uh, yeah, go for it.
1: Of course. Yeah. So I started casting uh, esports events when I was playing Gwent the Witcher card game. It kind of happened accidentally. You know, you just play the game yourself, you get really kind of good at it. And then at some point, some people ask you to commentate on some community stuff. And I found that that was more sort of, how can I put it, enjoyable at some point because you could really understand like the intricate plays that these players are doing and it helps you better your own game. So. Yeah, uh, Gwent kind of died off recently and this Disney game just happened to come out and I've been playing it since day one. But the problem is you have to go to physical tournaments. And then when this online client sort of um, emerged... Uh, yeah, I was super keen to do more of these events and there just wasn't really a lot of them going on so I thought this might be the way to go about it. Now, obviously I'd love to cast events but there are none to cast at the moment either so I'm really glad you got to help me cast these events and it's cool to see that some people are at least getting something more out of it than just competing. And uh, yeah, right now I'm just funding the prize pool myself. Obviously not sustainable in the long run. The second tournament coming up, I have fully funded it through People, which is awesome. I had some anonymous donations from some of the viewers to go directly into the prize pool. And then we had a small fundraiser tournament, which garnered another $470, which is going to the $1,335 tournament. So that's awesome. We don't have sponsors yet, but I assume at some point we'll reach an in-between where there is an entry fee but there's an even larger price but maybe heading towards two thousand dollars etc it really does depend on disney lorikana's announcement of future competitive plays and see what the industry standard is so i can sort of work on that and provide sort of in between for people who can't afford to go to physical events or can't afford to buy physical cards etc
0: yeah. The the con, or sort of the topic of sponsors when it comes to card games is really interesting because <clears throat> Kawa and I partially come from a Marvel Snap background. I come more from a flesh and blood background. But being a physical TCG and having physical game pieces that you can buy, your relationship with sponsors for tournaments, whether you're running them in paper or online, is much more symbiotic because in something like Marvel Snap, you think about a sponsorship and you think about the kind of company that would sponsor that. There's nothing that really feeds off of Marvel Snap, right? Maybe it's like a VPN or some sort of online tool or something like that. But in a physical card game, you can go to the more the the local game store level or on like a bigger distributor, right? And you can use these things like one-click checkouts or like these APIs you can link to their website and basically people, you know, they can look at decks and you can have links. And then now it's like the symbiotic relationship where people can use their service and actually support your sponsor. So I think that you probably will have no problem finding sponsors soon enough because there's tons of stores out there that are selling Larcana. And even local game of course but even these sort of bigger box retailers not talking about target but more these bigger distributors that exist in the united states and europe Um, it's one of the best things about um, a game like this is it affords a lot of opportunities for sponsorship
1: that's really good to hear i mean (laughs) yeah i've reached out to some card games at first and i think that was a big mistake because they're like why would we want to work with our competitor card game. So (laughs) I got a very polite, no, thank you, uh, literally one sentence um, from the one card game. And then I was like, all right, let's go to sleeves. And they're like, yeah, we don't do physical prize pools, but we can give you all the sleeves you want. Mm -hmm. I'm like, give me those sleeves, you know? That's awesome. I think it's a dragon shield, actually.
2: Mm -hmm. Oh, that's Um, huge! Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: I mean, really cool to have a relationship with them. But I think the way to go is, like you said, um, similar like uh, goals. So maybe TCG player, uh, all the card game, you know, the European ones as well. I can't recall what it's called right now, but-
2: Card market, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, if, if that happens at some point, I mean, yeah, what we'll have is free tournaments with even bigger prizes, which is really what I want. Because my goal is to get as many eyes as possible in the game, because right now, like many of my card game friends don't even know this exists. And mm-hmm. I mean, you two should know it with your backgrounds too. Like, it's so sad for me when I post on my Gwent YouTube channel, a Disney Loricana video, and people are like, "What? what's this? And I'm like, oh my goodness, there's no advertising happening yet. People don't know about this game. And that's a problem unless they change it in this first to second quarter of 2024. Then we're talking, you know.
0: Mm -hmm. It's interesting because um, I come from, like I said, the physical TCG space, specifically Flesh and Blood. And most of the people in that game know of Larkana, but they will not engage with the game until it has a competitive circuit and Mm -hmm. i just want to sort of branch off of that specifically because you know with we're supposed to have an announcement soon then q2 2024 we're supposed to actually start competitive play what are your hopes for the competitive circuit of Locana? what do you envision
1: well uh, accessibility firstly so um my real fear is if this blows up how they're going to facilitate thousands upon thousands of people wanting to compete in this sort of tournament so you know, are they going to have a public sphere where they do this? Is it just going to be sort of little events going on all over the show? Is it going to be online, physical, you know, and is there going to be proper funding and proper advertising uh, along the way? So for me, it's if Ravensburger can truly hold up their own in the International League, you know, can they compete with other card game tournaments? and uh, i think we'll we'll see soon you know um it will depend how healthy this card game is going forward like you said if people are interested in uh taking us up full time as a professional esports player
2: mm-hmm. yeah it's it's super interesting um just speaking about what kind of brendan has iterated upon previously i think the best thing that Ravensburger can do and i'm hope i've i really hope that they've done this already is learn from these other card games within this industry and take away from that and kind of you know meld it into their own thing but take a lot of the standards like brenda said how flesh and blood format their stuff how Magic to the pro tour stuff like that because they know that works they can utilize that and then just uh, integrate it into their own kind of card game system so um yeah brendan i think you talked about this a little bit already but what would yeah. be your ideal like okay we get the announcement tomorrow what do you want to hear from dizzy Lorcana?
0: Well, first thing I want to say is that they, there is an industry standard that they can look towards. Unfortunately, there is two industry standards. There is the Magic the Gathering and the Flesh and Blood. Flesh and Blood probably being ahead of Magic in terms of like how robust that OP is. But then on the other hand, there's a polar opposite, which is something like One Piece, uh, which I really hope they do not go in the direction of. One Piece is a fantastic game, but the organized play is pretty rough, uh, mostly because the tournaments are first-come, first-served. They're very hard to get into. They sell out. And all prizing is done through promos. And that can be very lucrative at first. Unfortunately, promo pricing is inherently Ponzi-nomic and it just trends downward over time. And you see Bandai recycle their card games, you know, sort of every three years at that as well. I hope that they come out and they look at Magic the Gathering or Flesh and, the, or in Flesh and Blood, which is something like a million plus dollar pro circuit. And in terms of tournaments, that would be your local game store, Um, your local events, allowing you to sort of maybe qualify for higher level events. They could, in the first one to two years, maybe get rid of that qualification system and make these open tournaments. After the local game store, there's maybe some sort of regional circuit culminating in a national championship. Uh, there will be one to two pro tours per year. Pro tours are usually invite only, but in the first year, they could be open. Pro tours are like this apex event. You have one to two per year, and then ultimately, you have the world championships, which is like Probably invite only, you qualify for it, et cetera. And then along with, so in terms of accessibility as well, when it comes to Pro Tourism Worlds, obviously. That can be like three to five hundred people, um, can only be qualified players. But what they can do is they can run it at these large conventions um, that sometimes already exist, things like SEG cons or something like that. And then when they run the pro tour on the day after for players that don't make day two, um, or players that are coming casually, which is a lot of the people that come to these these um, these conventions, they can run something like a large open tournament as well. So the private tournament, and then they have an open tournament on the second day, and they run it over the course of two to three days. This is like, for me, this is the industry standard. I hope they look. Towards. And the game would be much, much more interesting if we do get that. I, I do hope so. And it sounds like, from what we've heard sort of in whispers, that that's maybe the direction they're taking. I don't know in terms of compensation, you know, prize pool, but in terms of structure, it looks like they're looking more towards the flesh and blood of Magic the Gatherings than something like One Piece, which is really good for us. Cause I mean, that that's tournaments for all of you to play. Um, that's you know, high competitive integrity. That's lots of casting, ideally, production on top of that, all of which. I think is very very important for the success and health of this game the casual player base is definitely the foundation but i think the competitive player base is also very important and they help push the game to its its heights
2: it's more like meta development as well i think that's one of the biggest takeaways that we've seen from your tournaments tia is we're like okay the the biggest hot topic in Lorcana right now is ruby amethyst is the best deck and these online tournaments give players the opportunity to really try and tackle this problem see if they can take down this absolute monster of a a ink color combination. So uh, it's something that I've discussed with uh, Raven and even some other uh, Marvel snap content creators to say that if you had something like, uh, you know, weekly tournaments, as we're seeing from from Tia at the moment, or even monthly tournaments, how quickly can a meta develop? How many different deck archetypes can you see? Like it's really interesting if you went to go and play in, in in your locals in one part of the world, you could say, oh, this is a really popular deck. And then you go to somewhere else and they say, this is a really popular deck. So I do love to, you know, see as many ink color combinations as possible. And, you know, it, it's, it's really, really good. Like one thing I actually want to know is I think in a few sets of Disney Lorcan, let's say we get to set five, set six, I would love to see some properly produced like multiplayer shows. I don't know if you guys are too familiar with any of the Commander shows that are kind of online at the moment, like Commander at Home, stuff like that. Uh, Telerion Community College, they're a Magic the Gathering channel. They do some amazing multiplayer stuff. I think that's what's going to set Disney Lorcana apart from all of the competitive stuff, which of course we want to see. But that will really keep all of the true Disney fans engaged to see, oh, Mufasa's actually battling Zazu from set six or something like that. You know what I mean? I think that's going to be super, super cool. But yeah, draw- drawing back to the original point, I think. As like as we see more events develop, be that online or in person, it just helps to continue to help the meta evolve and and you know help uh, new deck archetypes come out. Because it's something I always think about is I wonder if uh, Ravensburger sitting there like thinking, oh my god, everyone's still playing Ruby Amethyst. They haven't discovered the secret sauce <laughs> yet. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting. That's sad. Yeah,
1: Copia. agreed. I mean, uh you know, a games dying when it becomes stale after several years, and I feel like you know, it, it's it's better to see this one evolve a little bit quicker to an extent. Like in chapter one, you had your clear Ruby Amethyst list with Elsa. That was it. And now we already have like more colors kind of competing. Like you didn't really have that in your set one tournament, at least not at a high level. And I can already see some competition here. The fact that, like you said, in my tournament, the top eight, there was actually a list that wasn't Ruby Amethyst that almost won as well. But for yeah. a bad round one draw i mean that says everything right if that list did win it would become meta i feel Uh, almost Mm. meta there's not enough people aware of these things yet but like you said if we have the content creation sphere and we have multiple tournaments being publicized then yeah you're going to have a a healthy meta with a lot of different archetypes
0: i actually think that list is meta um after a top aided so um, I know we talked about a lot. I'm sure a lot of other content creators did, but you know, if you, if you looked at the aggregate stats of the tournament, you're like, okay, seven of eight Ruby Amethyst, there's really nothing to, no information to pull away here. Maybe just a more optimized Ruby Amethyst list. I think that Steel Sapphire list was very, very, very good. And that's not because, that's not because it got second. That's because we actually tested the deck and that's a very, very solid deck and I'm really impressed by it. I, the color combination of Sapphire Steel specifically was very underwhelming to me in set one, but very, very fun to play drawing your entire deck um comboing with bell that was a fun thing to do but you get the card draw engine through beast and some of these other tools that come in set too that deck is solid um, and i think that if we ran back your tournament the same number of players um you know maybe next weekend we would have a very very different top eight to be honest also your top 16 Ooh. looked your top 16 yeah. was very very diverse so your top eight, seven or eight ruby amethyst I know. But the top 16 was actually quite diverse. So, you know, that bubble goes a little bit different. We could have had a very, very different story, which is interesting. Very true. Yeah. yeah I
1: think you're correct. Uh, the next tournament coming up this weekend, I think um, we had some problems initially with the online site uh, where people who didn't check in correctly didn't know that they weren't checked in. And then, sort of, a 100 people kind of just didn't compete. So, it's been optimized now that you have to self check in and you have to have your deck submitted, which mm. was why nobody went through. Uh, I think this one will have up to four or 500. And if we have that, perhaps we'll see an entirely different meta here with a steel Sapphire list. That mm. would be interesting to see if, if these tournaments actually get the meta to evolve properly, like you would hope. Um, yeah, you, you guys should make another list, uh, a third one, and throw it in there and <laughs> see what happens.
0: <laughs> so, Tio, in, I just want to ask you why Lorcana specifically? I know you you said you came from Gwent, but what caught your interest with this game in particular?
1: lorkana yeah well at first i was considering it and not really paying attention to it and um i don't know like like fate wanted it to. One of my friends came to my house on the day with two boxes, said he managed to pull it. And he was like, would you like a box? I know you're into card games. And that's when I opened it on stream and I, I was like, well, no, no. Oh, you got it. your
2: enchanted that day, wasn't it? Yeah, that yeah, was also insane. enchanted.
1: Mm. Yeah, that's what got me hooked. It was my first TCG, so first physical card game. And it was like kind of surreal having it and holding cards in my hand. And then I went to my first game in Miami Uh, It was a big TCG convention going again this year. Really like the guy who's organizing it, uh, Eric. And as I was playing with people in person, it was just like some surreal experience actually being able to see my opponent. So it became more of a social game than a in my room alone, you know, without a camera on game. And that to me, that's why I'm so interested in the community this time around, because I feel like it's all about the person you see on the other side of the screen, you know? So um, that, and I was very impressed with the mechanics of the game at first sight. For a lot of card games, I get sponsored all the time, more than I can count, to do these little niche card games that come out, and they almost always die within the first week. You know, As you guys might know, if you are working with these companies, and it's so tragic to see, like even DC Dual Force didn't make it a month. And I mean, it was very clear on the get-go that the mechanics were absolutely broken, and this couldn't really be fixed like it was very clear with disney there aren't really any broken mechanics i can find so far that indicates a lack of uh, expertise in the field um so i want to say these people look like they know what they're doing it looks like there is potential it's too early to tell obviously but yeah with like what four cards being released every uh set and no real issues so far i I think uh, this game could be very fun down the road with more cards being released. And uh, compared to all the other card games that already exist, I like to start off when a card game starts Mm -hmm. off. It feels more sentimental to me. That's how Gwent started 2016. That's got, uh, you know, that got me hooked. Um, Magic the Gathering, Runeterra, those all feel like I'm just, I can't even compete. I'm so far behind. You know, I'd never be part of the core community like the others. And I'd rather just start off from scratch and develop with the game as it goes along.
0: Absolutely. What about so in Lorcana, what is your favorite color combination and I mean we don't even have to say color combination. What is your favorite archetype to play?
1: I mean, I do like the control, there like I do like the red lists very much. I did like the yellow as well. I Mm. like the fact that they're sort of built to rush. I did like that Simba-Lilo-Stitch combination. That was by far my favorite list to play without singing songs. To me, that is an entirely different archetype. But it didn't quite pull off the wins for me when I was playing against Ruby Amethyst lists. So the yellow control was still, you know, that tank combo, grab your sword. Those were all excellent. But the purple allows for more card draw and the red really provides for control and it seems to be developing in that direction still which is why it ends up winning so much but I still think yellow and steel has a lot of potential but you do have to incorporate some strong archetypes like the singing or else I don't know it doesn't quite pull it off just yet um we'll see how it develops green is also a little bit fun a lot of like messing with your opponent's hand and stuff. I, I do like that a lot, but not yet on a competitive level. Um, seems mm-hmm. to be a bit of a meme, a meme color, you know?
0: What are your thoughts on evasives in the Ruby Amethyst list specifically?
1: Very interesting. It's, extremely specific. It It's something that could be problematic because it's one of those things where you have to include a card to deal with that card. It's like either you have an answer or you don't. Like you end up with rock, paper, scissors mechanics where it's like, ah, did my opponent bring uh, an answer to my rock or are they losing, you know? So we saw uh, with the last tournament that people specifically started including fidget in their list to deal with mini. And again, that card serves no other purpose but to kill mini. And if you have enough of those types of cards, you end up with a very, again, rock, paper, scissors type of tournament where somebody brings one thing and another person brings the answer and that's sort of it. Um, We'll see though, we'll see. We did see it in set one as well with the Pongo sort of card also being an evasive. And again, you have that similar thing going where you either have an answer or you don't have an answer and it could be a big problem for you if you don't.
2: Yeah, yeah, I have to say, I I don't know if you know, Tia, and I, I guess I don't know if Brennan and Moyne can actually call this their, their claim to fame, but very much it was like the early Ruby Amles days in Set One, and uh, you know Brendan and Moyne were were um, theory crafting, saying, okay, how, how do we kind of beat the mirror? What's going on with like evasive? So they they were the first people that I publicly saw really push the evasive package, and then within two weeks we saw Pongos, we saw Goofies, and that was a, a real centerpiece of the Set One ruby amethyst um list but me personally i'm really enjoying the set two version mainly because the list plays a lot faster like i know for the most part we call it a control list but you can nearly call it a tempo list because it's oh, yeah. so flexible in what it does right it gets out there so fast you can get the aggressive questing with the evasive mini mouse the madame Mim merlin package is just absolutely insane like all those rabbits being able to draw you so many cards is absolutely absurd but uh, the, the flexibility that the deck offers, right? You know, you can turn it into an aggro deck, but then you can also switch it back and turn it into that more control deck with your Be Prepareds, your Ursulas, your Lady Tremains, right? It's it's really nice to see how flexible the color has become now. Like back in set one, I would, I would honestly, I would dread playing Ruby Amethyst Mirrors because what would usually happen is it would be game one. Whoever wins game one wins the whole thing because game two is going to go to a tie. So um yeah, I've really, really enjoyed um casting the kind of ruby amethyst mirror matches now uh and also because like you were mentioning to you like people are bringing so many different cards within the deck now right we see the fidget to try and answer the mini mouse we've seen the peter pan shadow also another great uh mini mouse tech and evasive card being included within the list um but then yeah it comes back to the problem of if your fidget isn't killing the mini mouse what is it doing it's, it's just a Paint. dead card and it's just going to be ink it's going to be in the inkwell the entire time right but um yeah i've i've thoroughly enjoyed uh, how how the deck has evolved similarly how the uh, amber steel song deck has evolved as well right previously you just had the kind of aerial combo your your big cards like your surfer stitches rockstar stitches and now as I want to believe Moyen made popular, the flutes. I think the flutes are super, super cool, right? It's near, it's nearly like your own uh, spell book if you're, if you're playing Amethyst, right? Being able to gain lore by not questing with characters I think is like super, super interesting. And it just gets me super excited. Like bringing back, there it is. There's a sorcerer spell book. <laughs> Don't br- br- ask me
1: why I have those <laughs> <laughs> on my desk.
2: <laughs> br- bringing it back to like um, what you were saying about uh, all of the different color combinations. I think this game is... Incredibly well balanced. I think it is like superbly well balanced. It's something that myself and Brendan and Moyne have talked about numerous times. Even if you look at the pixel born data, um, you know we can see that Ruby Amethyst is pretty dominant and stuff. But it, across the board, a lot of the ink color combinations they do pretty well against each other. And yes, if you have like you mentioned that rock paper scissors kind of archetype, that's not really a bad thing. That's kind of it, it's it's good because. Yes, you try and see if your opponent has the answer, if they don't have the answer, but it's like there was a stage in the meta where we had like the new hotness, which was the Sapphire Ruby deck, right? This new deck that came out of nowhere at the start of set two. What beat that deck? Aggro beat that deck. What beats Aggro? Steel Song beats that. What beats Steel Song? Ruby Sapphire, right? So it is literally this rock, paper, scissors archetype, but that's that's what a, a meta is, right? And I think for the most part, it's really, really great to see how well balanced this game is.
0: Mm-hmm. It's dynamic as well. The, the metagame, a physical card game metagame is, uh, it, it tends to be stale, right? It tends to get solved pretty quickly. And, you know, I mean, we have a pretty fast release schedule with Lorcana specifically, but it is still slow compared to a digital card game, especially something like Marvel Snap. That being said, the Lorcana metagame is very dynamic. It is constantly in flux and it's very impressive. I mean, the, the narrative of Set 2 was Ruby Sapphire for sure. 100%. That was the deck to beat. Nothing was beating that. It looked borderline overpowered. Then, um, you know, we had Steel Song get a bit more optimized. Ruby Amethyst came back into the metagame. And now we have Steel Sapphire coming in. We have the discard list be innovated. It's absolutely incredible. And uh, yeah, hats off to the, the designers and developers for that. I want to ask you, Tia, in regards to Lorcana and its fundamental mechanics, things like the ink mechanic, right? Your card functions as a resource and as a card you can deploy onto board do you think this game is approachable and easy to play for players sort of experiencing it for the first time? And do you think that the game has a lot of depth past that? Does it have this easy floor and then a lot of competitive depth where you can really dig, you know, into the game?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. Um, Since I'm already sort of an experienced card game player, I, I really try to think if I were maybe a teenager and this was my first card game, if I could get into it. I, I do think at this point you can, and I, I'm curious how much in depth they do want to go if one of their main target audiences are children, because uh, it's, it's mm-hmm. Disney at the end of the day, that's what you're going to get, uh, which isn't a bad thing at all. It's a very nice like um, entry for them into the card game world. Um, for experienced card game players, it could be a bit simple at this point. I've heard of some who aren't getting into it just yet because you have Magic the Gathering, something that's been there for years and it's incredibly uh, like in depth. But I do think this game has a, a lot of potential for getting really complicated over the years. And um, some people theorize set through was just made to have sort of your basic entry-level gameplay and then it goes from there. But yeah, the fact that you have that extra dimension of having to ink your cards for a mana does it doesn't just give it to you, that's really cool. Now we have locations coming in. Now I haven't read all the location leaks yet, but I mean, even if we had some sort of movement potential between where you place a card on the board, that is already another entirely different like dimension. You can get some card games, you have to have a chess-like strategy. Where are you going to move your thing? When can you move it there? So, uh, you know, already I'm extremely impressed by the amount of mechanics. Like, you have your sing mechanics. Like, even that, I, I love that. I love the fact that you have to calculate whether you're going to play your card as is or if you're going to replace it onto a different card. The lore, like, having to quest, all of that, I'm incredibly impressed by. So, I think it has the potential to become extremely in-depth. Right now, it's a very good level for current card game players and newbies, and hopefully gets even more in-depth with the next set.
0: Mm -hmm. I want to get your thoughts specifically on the inking system, because I recall an article that was written by a Magic the Gathering player, I think, um, their name is Sam Black. I could be wrong. Um, this was, the, But they were referring to this idea of when you have these cards that can function dual as resources and as you know cards that you can deploy. That It's actually a very, very punishing system. It ext- it's an extremely hard system because at face value, it looks very simple, right? I put my card down every turn. I play my cards. But because you have the choice of what card to put down every single turn, it actually exponentially increases the amount of mistakes you can make. And actually, skill in a card game is just, minim- well, at least we believe on this podcast, is a like minimizing mistakes, basically trying to trend towards that perfect game, perfect form of a game. What are your thoughts on that inking mechanic? Do you think it has a lot of depth? Do you agree with that sentiment?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I like it when the ceiling for an IQ in a game is exceptionally high. I don't like it when it comes down to odds. Like I want it to be chess, like almost Mm -hmm. where you can really see somebody constantly winning and it's not luck. And I I love the fact that when you're a deck building, you have to determine how much non-inkable cards you can put in the deck. And I love the fact that it can be used as resources. So at some point you have to think, is it actually worth throwing this card away right now for more potential ink? Or am I keeping the physical card itself? I personally like that. I didn't think it's a bad thing making a game infinitely more potentially complicated. Mm -hmm. So you can still have children playing it and they understand what inking is. And then you can have a 40 year old expert playing it, knowing how to abuse that system against their opponent. Right? Um, Personally, I'm a fan. I think it makes this game unique.
0: Yeah. It's one of my favorite aspects, to be honest. I think that the depth is just—it's incredible because, especially at first glance, it looks so simple. And that was before I actually played Larkana, I was very critical of design, mostly due to its simplicity. But as soon as I got my hands on an actual, like the actual card pool, um, I mean, it's just—it's kept me intrigued since. I mean, the, like I like I mentioned, there is no other physical card game that I've played that has had such a dynamic metagame. We don't necessarily have these big marquee tournaments like Pro Tours and like Worlds to really cement, you know, like this is the best deck. So that might be why it's in flux, but ultimately the design just feels very well done and the decks feel very close in power level. I know Ruby Amethyst makes a lot of top eights. I know it does, but I'm telling you, there's a lot of other lists that are very, very close to it. And like I mentioned with your, your tournament, Taya, is that that's that top 16 was very diverse and it, it, it doesn't get enough respect because the top eight was so dominated by Ruby Amethyst, but that top 16, there was tons of Amber Steels. Um, I mean, there was just tons of archetypes. I think there was some discard decks up there. So, you know, a different, a different kind of bubble, we could have seen a very, very different metagame. Um, anyway, I want to ask you in regards to your interest in the game in the future, does it specifically lie with that competitive play? Is that your sort of future interest are you looking to be mostly involved on the competitive side
1: yeah for sure um the thing the reason i'm playing a competitive card game is to be competitive right like if i wanted to i'd relax and play some fallout 4 but mm. here we are so for me the, the the question is do i play as a player do i play as an uh, like uh, do i want to be a cast or do i want to be a tournament organizer because all three are just so freaking fun I say why not all of them but i know that's not how it works you have to really put an effort into one and you can't you can't simply be all of the above so for now i'm doing what i possibly can which is i play when i have time and i try and host weekly to bi-weekly tournaments to get more people interested in the game and if there ever were casting opportunities i mean there are so many different tournaments being held in person these days not any official ones yet but i mean I love casting too. So whatever opportunities there are, that's where I'll be drifting to. But this is certainly the game I am investing all my time in, in the next year, at least uh, to see, you know, we'll see how healthy the game is by the end of 2024. So I can't really speak for the future after that.
0: Mm -hmm. In regards to those tournaments, what is the, what is like the ceiling on that? Where do you see the future going with those tournaments you're hosting right now? Because we are in the early days. I mean, you're, you're two tournaments in. Like, what is your grand vision? Like, if you get the sponsors you're looking for, if you get the interest you're looking for, what are you looking to... Like, what is your sort of aspirational kind of tournament to host?
1: Wow. I mean, certainly, again, it will... It, right now, it started off as something trying to, like, grant people... It, it answers the demand, right, mm-hmm. for tournaments, So if Disney Ravensburger come out with an official tournament, we'll look at what it gives people and what demands are still lacking. So maybe they have a cap at a certain amount of players and there are still all these players who can't do this or maybe it's a physical event. Many people can't go to that. You know, it will. we'd have to know whether there's an official answer on whether Pixelborn is something that can coexist with Ravensburger's view of how the game should be. If I had everything I wanted, I would reach a point where we have physical tournaments being done in North Carolina, and I could fly people out to do it and help pay for that. um, Because essentially, I would want the best players to compete. And that's already something that's sort of like an idea floating around there in North Carolina right now with um, my boyfriend, Jimmy, we we both like the game, but it, it would really depend on what we currently have, what we don't have, and what we have a need for. So Uh, For now, I just have this invitational word floating around. So every time somebody wins a big tournament, they go to the invitational. We don't yet know what that is. Um, But uh, I'm planning to make it bigger than just your normal online tournament. Not necessarily in person, but uh, I'm trying my best.
2: Mm -hmm. That's actually like my favorite thing for when I cast uh, different events is highlighting these players and giving them a platform, right? You you get to find some of the... Best players in the world, especially with with the online events, right? It's not like region locked or anything like that. So giving these these players a, a platform and a, and a a place to shine is absolutely amazing, and it's it's one of my favorite things to do um and when when casting because not only does the community learn um, amazing things from these players, I learn as well. It's, it's one of the, like, it's it's what you talked about, T, as well. It's one of my favorite things because I feel like I'm constantly improving my game as I'm casting and still breaking down these like analytical turns so yeah that would be like a a dream for me as well to see you know like when when we envision what this op program will hopefully be we want to have you know a world championship with the best players in the world and i think the thing that's gonna not stop that from happening but the the barrier will be exactly what you said accessibility is it all gonna be oh you have to travel to this event it's gonna be capped like uh, I, i would love a world where like you said, we could have this uh, cohesion between the the online client and the physical events because uh, I don't know if it's actually been properly done in any other major card games. Like, Brendan, you would know more than us. In, in Magic the Gathering, right? Like, what are the best online uh, Magic the Gathering arena players? Like, do they get invited to any sort of events? Like, <laughs> yeah. do, do you know the kind of correlation between that?
0: they do, but that it took a while for that to be implemented. Um, so you can qualify You can qualify via online play and play in person at the Pro Tours. Um, that didn't happen before. So like COVID threw a wrench and all of that and Magic actually, they got rid of their Pro Tour for a while, then it came back. Um, so the current system, yes, you can. It's just it's a bit more convoluted than you would think, uh, but it does technically exist in terms of like you can qualify online. I want to ask you to uh, Thea, in regards to Pixelborn, I'm not going to ask you whether you like, like you think it's good for the game or not, because I know you do. But what do you think is the future of Pixelborn and how important do you think it is for Laconic? Can you just dive into your thoughts specifically regarding that platform?
1: Yeah. Without even mentioning Pixelborn specifically, then the online game is very good for any card game. I mean, you often have people who don't have the money to just buy cards immediately and moreover they didn't have money to buy thousands of dollars of boxes of cards so they can draw the good cards so a lot of times people want to try it out online first and then they go and purchase the cards for in-player tournaments so I think it's incredibly important especially like you mentioned with COVID I mean Gwent had a in-person tournament system Gwent Masters and I was going to cast my very first one in Poland and then COVID struck and like uh, we essentially never had that happen up until the end of last year it all became online and they quickly had to have a client and without that client we wouldn't have had any Gwen tournaments and you know things happen where people can't physically go to a place and I think it's very important to have accessibility for all via an online client and the fact that Pixelborn was made by a fan he's not asking any money it's all bringing people to Disney in my um, point of view I think that's awesome so where they ready? Ravensburger wants to work with him in the future, buy the client, maybe even ask for advice to build their own client. I'm all for that. I don't think anybody would have any complaints. Right now, I don't know a single player who isn't playing online and then going to physical tournaments to do it
0: afterwards. Absolutely. Um, I've said this about, so Flesh and Blood also, and I don't know I've mentioned Flesh and Blood a lot in this podcast. Flesh and Blood also has an online client, which is not recognized by the publisher. Um, they haven't recognized it for years, but they let it exist because they've taken out other online online derivatives. And my sort of th- theory about this or philosophy is that the number one contributing factor to the success of a card game is people playing that card game. And the online clients and the online versions of those games only for, only sort of perpetuate that and improve it and that's that's i think that Ravensburger recognizes that pixaborn is maybe the best thing that's ever happened to them i genuinely believe that (laughs) yeah
1: i mean sorry i'm just thinking back like when i first got the game all i did was open the cards on stream and look at the cards and i remember the cards sitting very neatly on my desk until more came out And it wasn't until there was one physical tournament that I kind of could play them and it was really sad because I didn't know how to play the game either yet and I didn't have anybody near me who had cards so I Mm can play against them. And even when we played against each other, we didn't quite understand how some of the mechanics work. And when Pixelborn came out, that's when I really hit this game. And I I didn't stream it for about a month or two either because I wasn't sure, you know, which way I had to go about it. But that's when I got into Pixelborn. So now I take that and I go to physical tournaments and I'm ready. But yeah, finding those friends to play with, I mean, you don't have somebody who has thousands of dollars invested in years of a set, you know what I'm saying? So it's very nice to have that online opportunity to do so mm-hmm. yeah the,
2: the, like it's it is incredibly costly to get invested into a, a tcg this is also my first physical uh card game and i'm very fortunate and uh it, it's it's really really nice for me like my my, my beginnings i've talked about on the podcast already was uh, i was at gamescom for the pc launch of marvel snap uh Ravensburger had a booth uh myself and my girlfriend we wandered over because we heard about this disney card game we enjoyed card games and exactly like you, we 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 bought a few boxes, we cracked them open. We're like, oh, we got Elsa, we got this, because she's a huge Disney nerd. Like we we love Disney com- completely, wholeheartedly. But um, again, like we have a sh- we still have a shared collection. This is how expensive it is, mm-hmm. right? And again, I'm very fortunate that I I learned the game with her. We I have that person to kind of bounce back and forth. We get to play it together. But right now, as we're preparing for a a major in-person tournament at the end of this week. I'm playing on Pixelborn, she's playing on Pixelborn, like this is the tool. Like, yes, we could play against each other. But I mean, Brendan's talked about this so much time, you know, the in-person practice versus the online practice, right? Okay, if I want to test a deck uh, mm. and I'm playing against my girlfriend, okay, let me sleeve up this deck, let me play. It. Okay, now you you grab this deck as well. Oh no, this we're sharing cards between these, deck. it gets really complicated really fast. And this is where the benefits of a client like Pixelborn come in. I can be like, Brendan Moyne, I'm practicing for this tournament. Let's hop on, let's test, let's jam and it's it's just amazing right and like you said as well people get to meet friends and uh play with them from all across the world many people don't have the luxury of even traveling to their local game store and 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 maybe maybe some people can't even leave the house right how they enjoy card games is through like digital clients and stuff like that and i, I think that's incredibly important and i really hope that uh Ravensburger you know either if if they publicly acknowledge Pixaborn in some fashion or like you said if they are secretly developing their own digital client absolutely fantastic but there's there's no doubt in my mind that it's it's all a benefit having a digital client like this Mm -hmm.
1: you have me like reminiscing now and you mentioned your girlfriend because I I remember how hard it was because Jimmy and we were were traveling so uh, much for his work that we would have physical folders I would be the person carrying it everywhere we went and on the plane we're trying to play this card game. And we could never play the mirror match, the Amethyst Ruby mirror match, mm-hmm. which I was practicing for because I was on my way to Miami. Cause we didn't we didn't each have eight be prepared and eight airsolas. And again, I think we're in a very privileged position, but that guy bought I'm talking almost $8,000 of boxes. He had to get them from sculptors because they weren't available. We still don't have eight Ursulas. We don't have eight B-prepares. I don't either, yeah. So how are we supposed to go about this? If it- So now we just travel with our laptops and we play against each other on Pixelborn. Easiest thing we've ever done. We collect the cards, I put them in sleeves, keep them for real tournaments and is the way for us to actually play the game.
2: Mm-hmm. yeah 100 percent. i mean i even have uh, like i'm i'm gonna be going meeting raven again as i usually do when we go play in these manchester events and you know raven has a few cards but he's like kawa can i can i borrow some cards And like of course so between the three of us like it, it nearly gets difficult when it gets the in-person stuff you know we try and make it work as best as we can but pretty much i play two ink colors my girlfriend plays two ink colors and mm. then raven plays two ink colors right so it's like who gets the ruby amethyst who gets the sapphire steel like it even with how invested we are in this game. And we have like, we have spent a lot of money on, on boxes, on cars and gift sets on troves. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's still a huge, huge investment to make sure you have a a full set uh, the whole time. And we will continue to do it. Like I said, I'm very lucky that we can kind of split it and, and go at it together. But yeah, it's, it's difficult. Uh, accessibility, I have to say has been thoroughly improved, though, with set two, I go into work every day, and there's a store across from me. And they literally have boxes and boxes of set two whereas set one that was not the case whatsoever so it's uh it's great to see that i hope that continues with set three i hope uh, the restocks of set one continue as well i have seen a little bit of set one stock out there but um yeah brendan i mean you've talked about this a lot as well right you you i think you've publicly said this now if pixaborn didn't exist you might not be playing the game as much as you do right because you don't uh, have the cards i wouldn't have um
0: Well, I was a little bit invested because I started up a podcast for it, but that one of the hosts had left, and at that point, yes, I would have not played the game. Um, And if I had not played the game, I probably would have kept my original thoughts regarding the design. It took me playing the game to realize how how well-designed it was and how balanced it was. So, yeah, I mean, Pixelborn, I genuinely believe Pixelborn has made this game what it is today. And you can take the hard line and say it saved the game because it was pretty damn close. I mean, the game was basically, you could not acquire it. And there's a lot of card games coming out. It came into a very competitive market, had a very good IP, but I mean, this game could have died without the accessibility that Pixelborn facilitated. And I think that Ravensburger, they would, if, if they were going to take down Pixelborn, They would have done it by now i think they realize this is very good uh good for them um they might be developing their own digital client i would be very surprised from a from a board game company but their their mobile mobile companion app is very good so i mean that would that would just be good for the players overall i want to ask you what do you think is the biggest thing aspect that is holding back lorkana right now
2: it's a good question it's a very very good question Oh, I don't know if it's holding it back so much. I mean, th- th- this is not the answer to your question. It's mm-hmm. the it's the the topic of conversation that we all want right now. Well, I know yeah. the us three want is I want to hear about OP. I'm dying to hear about it. I wanna I wanna know what the future of the game is. Right, if we get a good, um, sculptured, structured idea of what the next year of this game is gonna look like competitively, that's what I want to see. Right, I, I I don't think, um, it's it's gonna. I don't think, I do think launching the game without an OP program, as you mentioned, Brennan, was kind of an issue. And then you pair that alongside the um, accessibility of the game, like, like all the scalper is making the prices incredibly high. Uh, it was a, it was a rough start for the game right now. I think they've improved upon it. They've made the game more accessible. They're finally going to be implementing this, this OP program. Um, what's holding the game back? <laughs> I don't know we we've talked so much about pixelborn and i think pixelborn is is something that's been amazing for the game we keep coming back to it if pixelborn wasn't here i really have to agree this game would not be as successful as it is today by far what what are your thoughts Tia? is there anything else that you know you think is really holding the game back besides maybe the the, the lack of cards or the the lack of an official digital client
1: ah uh, i mean i hate to hone in on this but I mean, realistically, if Pixelborn was taken down tonight, I won't be playing this game again until the next event, which for me is in uh, Florida in March. I mean, my gosh, you know, I just I, I don't have anybody in this entire university I know who's playing this game, so where am I supposed to play it? like if you were to look at my desk right now i've it's kind of sad. it's like I have all these cards lying around, and they mean nothing to me yeah. but they just lie there you know so unless and then well let's say it didn't exist I would need more advertising and I would need a competitive scene where I'm able to actually go play this game and even then it would be a lot of effort um, like a lot of effort because I wouldn't be able to practice my games I wouldn't have any like prior backup to coming to that event and like you said it, it takes a long time to play this game it's fun in tournament but to practice I mean I can do games like 5 minutes each if I'm playing a ramp deck uh, if I really wanted to but having to shuffle it resleeve doing all of that and it's the cards are so valuable i don't want to damage them i really have to be careful when i'm doing all of that yeah so online client gone i wouldn't be able to participate the way i'm doing maybe i consider not playing at all to be honest and then secondly uh, more advertising so if more people Mm -hmm. are aware of the game maybe i'd have some friends in my dorm who are willing to you know pop some cards with me have some fun um yeah so if we can advertise this, have enough supply to go around, I think that would be that's when Disney's gonna pop off because it's a very, very like popular i p and mm-hmm. I think they're sitting on a gold mine and they know this, so they're taking it slow, making sure they have enough to go around before they go all out with advertising,
2: yep yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head, I think it is advertising now that you speak speak about it again for sure.
0: For me, it's uh, it's OP, OP, OP. I think, um, and by that I mean organized play. Playing games, like for me, and I think there's a lot of other players like me that they're I I enjoy there to be a why to play a game. I like aspirational content. I like something to aspire to, a big tournament, a, you know, world championship, a pro tour, something to test my skills. Like games as hedonistic fun are only so enjoyable, and I like that sort of that drive, right? That sense of success and accomplishment that you get from an organized play structure. I think it's really important to the longevity and sort of the continued interest in the game, especially for a player like me. And I know that that's not all players. Some players um, don't enjoy that aspect, but I genuinely think that will only heighten and improve the experience. So I really hope that they execute it um, correctly. Yeah, so organized play. All right, Tia, I want to ask you about uh, Into the Inklands. your first impressions and locations. Um, What do you think about this new mechanic? Like, how is it going to change the game?
1: Oh well, I mean, location. I like I said, I think it will provide much more depth to the game. Uh, really excited to see some more of the uh, the reveals before I make too much of an opinion on it. I mean, I've seen some pretty good cards, like um, the one from Treasure Planet. Can't for the life of me remember the protagonist's name, but Jim
2: Hawkins. Yeah. The- yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. That
1: card looked interesting. That looked really OP, depending on what the locations will do. And uh, I mean. Yeah, it's uh I don't know if one of you can recite exactly what it does off the top of your head. It's something like play a card, uh like a location um for free or something, or a forecast, or card uh, can't recall. But some of those cards look pretty strong and I really look forward to giving them a shot. And I think locations can be a pretty good uh mechanic in this game if done correctly.
2: Yeah. Yeah. My personal favorite card reveal so far, I don't know if you guys talked about it on the on the pod last week, Brennan has to be that green Ursula that finds the song Mm. and just discards (laughs) it like finally we have an actual answer to be prepared finally we have an actual answer to a whole new world so I think that card is uh like if you put that card if you took one card from set three and you put it into the meta right now I think it would drastically shake up the meta so I'm, I'm I'm super excited to see how that card is gonna um evolve the game something that we touched upon uh, our, our our thoughts about locations initially, um, were that maybe it's going to lead to a more combat focused, uh, gameplay experience. Be that with you know like so far resist was introduced within uh, set two. It's been good, but we haven't seen it fully utilized because the dominant decks have been, uh, ruby amethyst right, which don't really care about damaging stuff as much as fully removing it with a card like be prepared. So uh, I'm pretty excited that if it does go to a more um, kind of board-centric gameplay experience. That uh, there's going to be more more thinking involved, right? It's not gonna be like oh the board's too big. Let me just clear clear it really fast, right? So, uh, do you do you agree with that? With the introduction of locations, there's going to be kind of more uh, more of a combat-focused game. Um, because that that's our first impression of locations initially, anyways.
1: What do you think, Brandon?
0: Oh, so locations are really interesting. Um, because, so the best way to look at locations is, more and explained this, that they're basically tapped characters that come down, um, because they can be attacked, right? And they gain passive lore. At least some of them gain passive lore and they have these abilities, but you can always clear them. Um, I do think that Lorkana is a game that when you first look at it, you, you, look at the attack and defense values of all these characters and you imagine all this combat going on where you're trading and but that doesn't really happen. Like you have you have um agnostic AoE board wipes through Be Prepared in Ruby. You have AoE board wipes in steel that just do damage to everything. Like combat in Ruby Amethyst is very niche. It only occurs between very, very specific decks. Like maybe aggro decks. If that if not, they're probably just questing, right? They're just ignoring each other and questing. So this the combat of the game is actually something that doesn't really get a lot of credit or it doesn't get used a lot currently and i think the locations will change that locations make a lot of mechanics a lot better in my opinion things like challenger challenger is a good mechanic right now because you can trade up on characters but things like challenger will be really good into these locations because you need to clear them you need to clear them early because locations are fundamentally under right but they're under because they are always susceptible to being cleared by being attacked right um, i think it will add a lot more tempo into the game the game is already very tempo based but um you know having board presence will be more important in set three than it is right now in my opinion for locations but uh yeah i mean Mm -hmm. it looks it looks really cool it's a cool mechanic i'm happy they're introducing it you mentioned something earlier Tia, in regards to um, like the simplicity of design in set one, two, and potentially three, and then further, complica- further complicated design coming in in set four, five, six plus. Um, I think that's absolutely true. And that's a very standard practice for game design is to have these somewhat introductory sets and then bring in the more complex mechanics later once the player base is adjusted to the game, uh, the game's mechanics and rules, etc. cetera. So I do think that is coming and locations are a version of that, which I'm really excited for. Uh, one thing I want to hit on here is uh, the tournament that you had last week was won by Ruby Amethyst, everybody... Nah, it's a different Ruby Amethyst list. It's an actual Ruby Amethyst list. Um, I just want to get your thoughts on this list specifically because it took down the entire tournament. There was plenty of Ruby Amethyst control in that tournament. What do you think about this new take on Ruby Amethyst?
1: So we are talking about the one with uh, Pinocchio at tier eight, the for 3i. Yeah. I love it, personally. I'm a huge fan. I have tried this list myself, a similar variation at least. Um, I'm surprised that it did manage to beat the tournament, but I think it's getting easier and easier to beat these mirrors when your opponent doesn't really expect you to play anything else. They've just been prepping the mirror themselves. And yeah, if you aren't able to contest these cards like Maleficent and Pinocchio, then you're in a lot of trouble. And then you have the Merlin combo along with Arthur. I mean, that's in itself with Madame Mim, it's just an exponential amount of points. And I do like to see the two spell books as well in this list. Now, mm-hmm. it's interesting to see how many people like play the spell book and how many they include, because it, obviously it's a non-inkable card, so you're risking that. But Normally with these board clears and be prepared, they don't affect the item, which makes this nice contesting card for your normal mirror match, I would say.
0: Mm-hmm. How many how many social spellbooks do you play?
1: I also play two at this point. Okay. Just two. Yeah. Because I'm a bit afraid of non-Inkables, to be honest. I've had too many games where I accidentally start my whole hand with them and- it's scared me ever since. So <laughs> I try to keep it very even. I'm not too risky when it mm-hmm. comes to non-inkables. And uh, yeah, you can see here with the Maleficent, the Monoc- uh, Pinocchio. I mean, this this person rests quite a bit. They had to take out some other cards. Like they couldn't implement Ursula for, in- uh, for interest's sake. You know, uh, it's uh, it's kind of difficult. You, ha- It's a nice way to keep the game balanced i like the fact that you can have non-inkables in a deck but you are certainly punished for having to me be prepared uh, etc
2: mm-hmm. i, I want to talk about this deck a, a little bit uh two cards in particular that i think really defined this deck and two cards that myself and specie were uh, quite amazed to see we said uh Fan the flames is that even a real card like i i knew this card existed but i was like wow I've I've gained a lot of respect for this card. And the reason why I think it's so good is let's look at two cards, for example, right? Let's look at Pinocchio and let's look at Arthur. we've seen Pinocchio used in these kind of aggro bounce packages before, right? You quest with Pinocchio, you bounce it back with the Madame Mim, with the snake or with the fox, and then you replay Pinocchio, allowing you to quest again. The difference with a card like LeFou or Fan the Flames is you can re-ready Pinocchio, but you don't have to pay the cost. Of playing the card again, right? When you bounce the card back to your hand, oh well suddenly you have to actually pay two ink to play this Pinocchio again. The downside of leaving it on the board, yes, if your opponent is using any uh, removal cards, like if they're if they're steel, then they can easily kill the Pinocchio. But what I was particularly excited to see these two inclusions because in a metagame where the traditional Ruby Amethyst list is quite dominant, they don't really have any removal. The main source of removal that they have, yes, is Heath and ambitions we've seen this in a lot of ruby amethyst lists but i think having these cards like lefou and Flames make pinocchio good but particularly make arthur absolutely insane because usually if you quest with arthur you get the bounce that's it he's done your job you're happy if you get to trigger arthur twice he is absolutely insane so yes i think if you're playing this list in a major like a huge huge tournament um it may be a little bit harder in a lot of your matchups compared to the traditional list because if you run into steel, I feel like it's going to be, you know, a little bit of a challenge. But if you're in a room where it's going to be primarily Ruby Amethyst, I think you're really favored in the mirror match, honestly, because you're just going to quest faster. You're going to reset your cards. You're going to keep doing what Ruby Amethyst does, which is, you know, getting the card draw engine with your Merlins and stuff like that. But this deck basically just outpaces the traditional list at the moment. Brendan, what are your initial thoughts on the deck?
0: So, I originally thought that, uh, you know, I was surprised. I was wondering, you know, where all the steel was. But Arthur is an inherently good cardigan steel, actually, because it's bouncing back to your, your early drops that quest for locks, right? Looks like the Maleficent questing for two, the Pinocchio questing for three. And it actually insulates those characters against something like a grab your swords or like a smash. So, um while this list, when you look at it first, you're like, oh, you know, any kind of steel deck would probably have smashed this. I actually don't think so, the more that I think about it, because I think this Arthur, it, it makes it so your Pinocchio can get you like six quests, which is over 25% of your win condition, which is ridiculous, right? It's just, it's insane. Um, So I really like it. It's not my type of gameplay in terms of deck i I really like you know more card advantage uh more draw potential more board clear uh but that just tends to be what i gravitate towards i think it's a really cool deck it's great to see innovation like i said the the metagame is so dynamic it's crazy i just can't believe that this keeps happening in in this card game usually card games settle on a deck or two and this this one really doesn't i you know people can point at ruby amethyst but ruby amethyst could be be dethroned any week now and i already think it Has gotten pretty close to that, which is very, uh, very, very exciting. Um, I'm just happy that we're able to have these tournaments actually start to get to see the top decks because, oh man, this is like an OG. This is like a bingo card uh podcana. One issue we always had with the physical tournaments is they never play the top eights. They always split. (laughs) So now we actually get to see the deck lists that win.
1: Oh. That's such an interesting thing. It's the first time I've heard of splitting. I was brought up before I did the tournament. Like splitting's gonna happen. You can't give one person a thousand dollars, you have to split it between the eight and I'm like Well I'll just tell them they're not allowed to and I'm like, No, but I don't wanna do that. I mean I want this is for the people, they should have fun. So like what on earth does that mean when you so- just yeah. What
0: is that? So splitting is a risk risk reduction strategy that people take in the later parts of a tournament. It has uh, There's many different levels, right? So you go into the finals against your opponent. Maybe you know them, maybe you don't, but you go, hey, do you want to split? We'll split it 50-50 um, or we'll split it 60-40 so we can mitigate the risk because potentially the prize that goes to first and second is drastically different. Um, I am very much against splitting uh, in almost every single scenario. Where it gets a bit egregious is that you can have high, lo- and a lot of card games actually outlaw this. They don't let you do this. But if you don't explicitly say this is not, you, people can't do this. What has happened in flesh and blood in early tournaments, like people get to the top eight, the entire top eight gets together, say, hey, do you guys want to split? There's no rule against it. They split the prize, they don't even play the top eight. And the reason why this happens so much in Lorcana is not because people are, uh, you know, they're being nefarious with this, but it's mostly because a lot of these early Lorcana tournaments, like the one case and two case in paper, were logistically taxing like they were going on 12 14 hours people Mm. were driving six hours so you know they were splitting for reasonable reasons but it was very hard in the early days to find out like what's actually the best list like there's there's five different lists in the top eight and we don't know what what list is actually good here so i'm happy that we get to see the winning list from the tournaments online but uh yeah splitting i have no issue with splitting Splitting money. I think it's cowardice, but I have no I have no <laughs> issue with it. Uh, it's when people split and they don't actually play the games so where it kind of hurts the integrity of the tournament. And most tournaments make, say that's not okay. Obviously, technically, people can still like throw a game, but you, you can't avoid that. You just don't want people to be like, all right, it's top eight time. We're so excited. We're going to cast it. We're going to produce it. And they're like, oh, we're not playing. It's like... Not.
1: Very interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I would simply not allow that in, in any of my tournaments. So you'd have to play it out. Um, but I understand what you're saying with the physical tournaments. Yeah, yeah it's like uh contractually you're obliged to like you're being paid for a publication. Um, you know, if you actually do a full on tournament at some point you've got to pay costs or you've got to pay people and you can't pay them if they're not costing a game and there isn't a top eight and you can't put it on tv whatever so if, if you don't do your part of the contract which is actually competing for free then you simply can't get part of the prize pool but very interesting first i've ever heard about it yeah i think it's because it was always online up until now uh in the tournaments i took part in and so i've never seen this happen in person yet yeah
2: yeah curious. it, 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 it so happened to me the, the first mindset. first time as well yeah, yeah. It, it happened to me the first time, it was the first time I experienced it as well. But similar to what Brendan was saying, I I wanted to play the top eight. Part of me was like, I'm after driving two and a half hours to get up here. I kind of, you mm-hmm. know, it's been a really long day. But the, the ultimate decision, uh, again, Brendan can correct me if I'm wrong, but there is eight of us. It was a really long day. Some people had to get flights home, had to drive home. You know, majority of us decided to split, but our whole mindset and I think it wasn't an official rule because Disney lore kind of doesn't have any official OP rules yet. We basically said if one person says they want to play, we're playing the top eight, Mm -hmm. right? So, Mm. and that's also thing you don't want to pressure people saying like it was pretty much. Do you want to split or do you not want to? If you want to play, we will play. It's not like, oh come on, we've had a long day. You know what I mean? There's there's your own personal reason why you may want to split or not want to split. If that person, if that one person said, you know what, we're playing, we'd happily play. But yeah, the main reason why I think splitting would occur is for long days in terms of physical events. Mm -hmm. Um, the I, I agree with Brendan if it's a situation where there's a broadcast and there's a huge exciting moment, okay, who's gonna win the tournament? Oh, let's just split and go home. That is yeah. so bad. Like so, so, so bad. And are you saying it happens more often than not, Brendan?
0: Uh not necessarily. It's actually quite rare, but like uh because most games outlawed as soon as it happens, they're like, okay, obviously that's not sure, intended. Sure. Um I do want to impart some advice though. If you be if you're ever playing in person and people come up to you, maybe seven people come up to you made top eight and they're like, Hey, do you want to split? You say yes, absolutely. All the first. Split it all <laughs> the first. <laughs> that is so antithetical to anything they want. Yeah. I don't know. It's just um, it's this card gamer mindset, this plus EV mindset where you know they people want to come out in, in the money in cash. And there's risk redu- reduction strategies to do that. So it's very, mm-hmm. it's very common. Um, but yeah, I always like to say, absolutely we can split. Let's split it all the first. <laughs> all the first. Let's go. Yeah.
1: But what do you mean with all the first?
0: That means first place takes everything. So they're oh, trying, they're trying of, to split yeah. to reduce reduce risk and, you know, spread the prize evenly. And you just tell them, yes, you would love to split. And you just do the, you just, obviously. The you whole top yeah. prize pool goes to the first place. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> it's pretty much the all, opposite of all what they in. want. All in. Yeah, pretty much. It's yeah. the opposite. Uh, I like just, that. Yeah. It's just a little meme because, I don't know, I just think that splitting sometimes, especially like early splitting, you're like, who wants to split top 16? It's kind of cringe, you know? Like,
1: uh, I know. Th- yeah, because then it's all about the money. And I, I know some people do this for a living, but it's like – no, that now you're kind of taking the integrity out of the game, and that's not what we want, right? So yeah,
0: us yeah. like you, g-
1: get a job, you know, <laughs> Don't are you make playing the game job. to
2: make money. Yeah, are you playing the game to make money, or are you playing the game because you want to play, you want to compete? That's why you should be playing the game, right? Yeah, first so, place,
1: that title, that's what you're going yeah. for, and the money is like a really cool way to take more time out of your normal job and be like, okay, I'll start doing this a bit more professionally. Maybe consider doing it, uh, you know, half seas is a living, but it's like. If you reach that point where you need two hundred dollars that badly, it's yeah. like, dude, don't compete and don't do a two day tournament.
0: The stakes are dynamic, right? Because you know it's like two hundred dollars at our kind of tournaments right now, but like you get to the World Championships, it's like fifty k sure. the first, twenty k the second,
2: yeah, ten the a second,
0: and then yeah, that's Pay where- twenty we'll
1: k, yeah. Take
0: it. 20K. <laughs> Yeah. You beat me. <laughs> if you beat me, yeah, just go for go for the go for the fifty. All right. Well, T, I want to give you a chance to shout out any of your socials, what you're up to, content you're you're doing, future tournaments, etc. The floor is yours.
1: Of course, and again, thank you so much for having me on, guys. This was one of the best podcasts I've been on for Larkana yet. Um, yeah, I mean, again, sorry for the backdrop. So I'm currently studying in Scotland. I just got back for semester two. Will be done by April. But uh, in the meantime, you can watch for any tournaments. I have them weekly. It's done in my Discord called The Pack. You can see announcements on uh, Tia Boysen on uh, Twitter, or you can check me out on Discord, uh, uh, Twitch, YouTube, under Tia Beastie, where I'll be showing the highlights of all the tournaments there. So yeah, if you're here for Lurikana, you can definitely stick around and I'm sure you'll find a tournament you can compete in.
0: Mm -hmm. And as usual, anything we talk about, so a link to that Discord, a link to the deck list, anything we mention in the podcast is going to be in the description, whether you're on pod platforms or YouTube, so just check it out there. Um, The Twitters are obviously on screen, so you'll see that. But we want to thank you for coming on the podcast. I mean, I think that... Are you our first guest? I'm trying to even remember. I get a bit this. I think you're the first guest of first guest
2: when it's been, when it's been the three of us, right? Yeah. When it's been you, me and Moyen. Yep. So yeah, yeah, so, an honor.
0: Yeah, we appreciate it. And Let's we're go. Yeah, we're very proud of the things you're doing in the community. You've given us a platform to compete on, uh, which has been awesome. We had our boy Moyen top eight. So we're very proud of that. Uh, and we look forward to future tournaments. Um, we're really excited. We're f- excited for the future of the game as well. I'm particularly looking forward to that Q2 or at least announcement of Q2, what that in person paper play will look like because i feel like there is the the in-person the essence of the card game that you get when you play it in person sitting across from other real people is unmatched and i think that Lorcana will be a great um sort of facilitator of that so i hope they go deep on it and uh yeah hopefully maybe we'll be all seeing each other in some random part of the world and competing here pretty soon um yes yeah. Anyway, if you all listen to this podcast, you enjoy it. The number one thing you can do is leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It helps so, so, so much. There's a video version of this on YouTube at youtube.com slash podcast. Hit that subscribe while you're there. We're all on Twitter, Kawatech underscore CG, Brendan APG, and Tia underscore voice. And I said it correctly. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> yeah. I so. Okay. Awesome. Thank you all so much for listening. We'll see you next week.